You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Let's talk for the first time in 2022 to Joanne Bainham from Sterling Private Wealth based in Cape Town. Joanne, three pieces of inflation data. The South African data came out today, their monthly data, the year-on-year data, 5.9% is the current rate, just below the top of the Reserve Bank's band of 3 to 6%. Okay, that's And that's going to go beyond that band. We know that. It has to, unless the RAND goes back to 1450 or something. So let's say that it's going to breach that, and therefore interest rates are going to rise. In the United Kingdom today, uh, the rate came out at a 30-year high of 5.4% during the month of December. And in the United States, as we know, it's 7%. The oil price is over $88 a barrel. Yeah, the, the world, it is a changing. The world is changing. And I think we've been discussing this inflation debate all of 2021. And it's now continuing for 2022. Um, clearly, the debate has been around, is it transitory? Is it structural? And we know the Fed last year got rid of the word temporary or uh, transitory and said, you know, we're a bit more worried about it. And this is why we've seen the markets year to date, particularly growth stocks, taking quite a big knock because there's a realisation now with these inflation numbers that the Fed is going to be forced to raise rates. Um, personally, in the very short term, I think the market's got a bit ahead of itself. I mean, I'm hearing that they now think the Fed will raise rates by 50 basis points on their first rate hike. I just can't see it happening. This is a Fed that's gone out of its way to make sure equity markets are happy. And I think a 50 basis point rate hike would scare people senseless. So um, yeah, I think he might raise it 50 within a couple of months, but I think in one move, that's that's a huge thing. Yes, but on the other hand, if it's flagged, if he keeps on uh, slipping in into conversations, whether it be a testimony to Congress or whether it be a press conference or a casual comment, if people uh, know about it, then there's a knee-jerk reaction like there was yesterday, because that was the reason that the markets came down quite sharply last night in the United States, was because somebody said it's going to be not 25 but 50 and i mean half a percent is, is massive when the the rate is 0.25 percent yes i know but as long as people get used to the idea of it then it's not going to be a big shock when it actually happens don't you think and i agree it's all about telegraphing his message but that message has not been telegraphed remotely up until this point and did it was the central bank governor that said that yesterday or was it a fund manager because I think it makes a big difference who's saying it. I mean, a, a number of fund managers have been saying that the Fed's behind the curve, the Fed needs to raise rates more aggressively. But in everything the Fed's done, or, you know, they've done the last couple of years, it's always been very careful not to scare the market. And I can't help thinking that a 50 basis point rate hike w- would be quite a tragedy right now because we just couldn't handle it. You know, there are a number of people who've got their jobs in financial markets who've never seen an interest rate hike. Yes. <laughs> so you've got, you've got to go, you've got to do this quite slowly. I, I think he needs to raise rates. I think we need to normalize. If the world's recovering, it's actually quite bullish if he's raising rates on a longer term view, because it means we take the markets off life support. But, but in the short term, I think given the amount of debt in the system and given the fact that a lot of the inflation numbers are actually supply-led, not demand-led, I think a 50 basis point hike would really scare the market. And I think it will um, change the way they behave as well, because there's been squads, legions of the people you just spoke about that have never seen an interest rate rise that have been used to getting onto their desk in the morning, whether they be on a proprietary trading desk or a broking desk and saying, well, um, the Fed is doing this. There's loads of money in the market. The only place to put it, because of the differential between rates and inflation, the only place to put it is in risk assets. So let's have a look at the growth stocks, for example, on the NASDAQ, or maybe a, a bit of value 
as well. And suddenly, when you saw a particular investment bank in the United States numbers yesterday, <laughs> the share price fell 8, 9, 10%. Suddenly, those people that everyone thinks is, are so clever, suddenly when the tap is turned off, they're not so clever, are they? Uh, yes, no. I mean, I think the Tina argument was valid for a very long time because there was no alternative because interest rates were so low. But that rhetoric is now changing. I, I do find it quite amusing how every single value manager out there is suddenly incredibly cock-a-hoop and, oh, it's all so easy and look at us, how clever we've been. And admittedly, I think they're going to have a, probably a better time going forward. Again, if, if the Fed is raising rates because economic growth can withstand it, you want to be in sort of boring industrial type companies, which is where the value guys sit. And I get it. But, you know, the last 10 years has been brutal to them. They've had terrible numbers. So I think people should be a bit more humble when it comes to stock markets. Yes, there have been a number of people who thought they were very clever. And a lot of that was probably luck. Let's be brutally honest. I, I think from here on out, it gets a lot harder. I know for myself, you and I have been chatting for years, and I've been often too cautious and been wrong. And I look at this now and think I'm very glad our clients have cash in their portfolios because we didn't want to be fully invested when everybody was just putting everything on red. So, yes, we can, we can sit back now and say let's be a bit calmer about this. But I also think some of these growth shares have been overly sold, you know, if you look at the NASDAQ, it's quite interesting. The NASDAQ's down 10% from its highs, I think is the number I saw today. Yes. 40% of the NASDAQ, 40% of those shares are down 50% from their highs. Hmm. So whilst it so it's polarised, in other words. It's polarised into it's a, few, polarized. a few companies, it, yes. Yeah, it's completely what they call the generals at the moment, leading the market. If I was a passive investor, I'd be quite nervous right now because I think it's dominated by a few big names that everyone knows about on valuations that are not that compelling. I think a number of these smaller cap companies that have been really, I mean, there's some big moves in these smaller cap companies globally, I think are starting to look very interesting. So it doesn't have to only be a value theme. And, you know, the other thing about value, a lot of the reason value is going up in the most because the energy story. And, and, you know, you talked about inflation at the beginning of this call. I think oil prices stay at these elevated levels, possibly for a bit longer. But again, that's a mugs game because none of us know. But what we do know, though, is that with ESG becoming more and more important in investors' lives, what they've done is made it very difficult for um, oil companies to access capital. And because they can't access capital, they can't go into new projects. And there's a huge supply deficit coming on the oil side. So I think, you know, structurally, oil could stay at elevated levels for longer than people are anticipating. Again, however, inflation is a rate of change. So, you know, $88, it needs to go to $98, go $108 to keep the inflation keeping going up, if you follow what I'm saying. Yes, I do. So, so it's a base effect. It'll come yes, off a high effect. base. And next year, maybe yeah. inflation will be down to 3.5%, That's absolutely true. But it's not just the energy complex, don't forget. It's also housing prices. It's also used car prices. It's also the price of oats and everything else. But I do take your point. You mentioned the word passive. I'll give you two other Ps as well. If you were a passive okay. investor, you said, you're not a passive investor. You're a prodder and a prober, and you prod and you probe every day. It's your job to go and seek out the clever people to whom you want to give money. Now, you had a meeting this morning, I understand, through my vast network of contacts with a few South African boffins <laughs> giving you their views. Please, can you tell us what they said? Okay, so I interviewed Kahiso today, Dorium Capital, MG Investments, and Old Mutual, four of their fund managers to discuss. SA equities this year and really interesting because as you know it was a bumper year for SA equities in 2021 yes despite a whole lot of people saying that you know South Africa was finished South African equities did particularly well last year and the question I posed to them was 
where do you see returns going for 2022? Now, obviously, fund managers hate giving forecasts, but what they did tell me is that their their portfolios are more expensive today than they were 12 months ago. And you can say, well, that's obvious. Yes, it's obvious, but then what they're saying is a lot of these companies have re-rated. So what they're telling me is that, yes, there's up, upside opportunity in 2022, but more muted. And I think, you know, now you need some proper strong earnings to come through because it has been a re-rating story in a number of companies. Uh, and they're saying they think 2022 will be a more difficult year, which I think is a fair comment. I, I didn't ask them about the global macro because these are all stock pickers. But interestingly enough, to most of them, except Old Mutual, were very bullish NUSPAS. Um, and one of the better comments I heard was NUSPAS isn't only a gaming company and wants to be you know, the, the biggest winner in gaming. It actually wants to be the biggest winner of leisure time. So if you think what Tencent is doing in, in China with their gaming, which now makes up 30% of their revenue, they're also looking at things like Spotify and Netflix with China equivalent. So not those two companies, but the Tencent China equivalent. And, and they say they want to control the leisure market in China. And if you look at that company, it's currently on a forward P of 16 to 17 times. And yes, I know there's concerns about Chinese regulation, but one can't help thinking on a longer term view that process and NASPAS are looking pretty interesting at the moment. And most of them are pretty bullish on that stock. And just remember, in 2021, it had a very bad year. I think the number was down 18% or something. Don't mm. quote me on that, but but something like that. And then on commodities, it's a more of a mixed bag. Some of them like gold equities, some hate gold equities, depends on their viewpoint. And as for platinum, the, the feeling is just, you know, talking about supply chain disruptions, the feeling is the semiconductor market could start to um, actually improve quite soon. And we could see demand for platinum picking up again as the motor vehicle market opens up. Because as you point out, used car sales are incredibly high, but that's because people haven't been making new cars lately. And because they haven't been able to because they couldn't buy semiconductors. So the feeling is that platinum could do better in 2022 as that, that market starts to normalize. However, which is really interesting, if you look further around, there is a feeling that EVs become the kind of dominant car choice. And in that case, the demand for the whole basket of palladium, rhodium, platinum will be severely reduced. So there is a sort of a short-term window here on a lot of these platinum companies, but longer out, I, I am concerned, and a lot of them are concerned about the long-term story for these companies. So that's platinum, that's miners. Local what about banks and FA, retailers? Sorry. Did anyone mention the sector well, banks and retailers, one of which is, or both of which are inextricably linked to the fortunes of the South African economy, and one of which is inextricably linked to, to interest rates, uh, the banks with the interest rates, but both with the South African economy. Anyone bullish on those two, Which because they are inherently domestic stocks? Okay, so I mentioned the four names. Two of them were bullish, so um, M&G and both Lorium Capital, but Lorium Capital less so. M&G very bullish, still on SA consumer-facing stocks. Uh, their view is that the valuations are still compelling. Now, obviously, you've got to could trade in and around that. So, for instance, Lorium preferred insurers to banks. Um, M&G preferred, I think, banks to retailers. But, you know, it'll probably be stock-specific in that area. They still think there's opportunities there. Interestingly enough, Old Mutual thinks the reflation trade is coming to the end, and they're much more circumspect and much more nervous about these stocks. And then preferring sort of idiosyncratic ideas like the likes of Omnia or Robux or construction company as opposed to a pure bank. 
And then if you have interviewed Gavin Woods, you really should from Cajiso. He always has very strong opinions on things. And he was saying, no, no, there's no reason to be an essay facing consumers. He's very worried about the long-term growth rates of South Africa, given unemployment, given the SOEs, the political landscape, etc. Mm. So a very, very mixed bag, very mixed bag on it. Um, yeah, so, and the one stock that M&G talked about a lot and they really like it is Richmond. So, interesting, you said Richmond, I think you said it was up 6% today or something. Yes, it um, had its... So um, their top holdings. Yeah, it had its third quarter sales update, I, I think it was, uh, to the end of December and shot the lights out. I mean, I don't know who's buying watches at the moment. <laughs> I don't know who's well, got no, the Well, interesting enough, you know, so this whole movement in China to sort of normalize income inequality and, you know, to get the Gini coefficient down doesn't mean they don't want the middle class to become wealthier. And interestingly enough, in, in Richmond's case, a lot of their consumers are the wealthy middle class, not the uber wealthy. So they don't buy the, and I don't know all the Richmond's brands, but they don't buy their top of the label brands. They're kind of buying their middle class brands out of Richmond, the watches, maybe the lower priced watches. Mm. And I think that's where you're seeing quite a lot of demand at the moment. In, I don't know when they go shopping, though, because no one's leaving their houses right now, thanks to their zero COVID strategy. Maybe they're buying it all online. Who knows? Um, but the interesting thing that uh, M&G commented on Richmond was that they have kept their prices quite stable for the last couple of years, and they feel now that they can start increasing prices. So they obviously think this company has pricing power. And, you know, top-end luxury goods tend to have pricing power because people don't buy them on price. So it could be an interesting, you know, they think it's only going to get better from here on out. Very good. Okay, so a stock picker's market, a cautious market after last year's blockbuster of a year, both in South Africa and overseas markets. You always claim, Joanne, off air that, you, you know, you don't look at the markets, you just listen to, to clever people. But you must have some kind of personal view on what's going on. Personal view, I'm starting to lean towards sort of a barbell strategy. And what I mean by that is, you know, buy some of these value companies if they're still value. And I say, you know, if, they, if I can still pick them up on reasonable valuations, and I think the earnings trajectory is interesting, so if I can get them under P's of 10 or 11, mm. yeah, that's always a good story because I think if interest rates are rising, it's because economic growth can handle it. But equally, and this is more controversial, I understand that interest rates are rising. I, I don't believe the Fed will be as aggressive as the market's suddenly pricing in because I don't think the economy can handle it. I think the Fed is too aggressive. You'll have a huge recession in the US. So I don't think they'll do that. But let's see. You know, none of us ever get this right. But what I'm saying is a lot of these small cap tech stocks are down 60 to 70% from their highs. Not all of them are useless companies. And I think the small cap sector globally could start looking quite interesting because I think a lot of good companies have been probably thrown out with the bad. So when I say barbell, I think, you know, take an active manager looking at the value side of things and then getting an active manager who looks at some of these small cap ideas globally. And I think the biggest risk right now is the passive funds. So if you look, I think it was BlackRock this week that came and said they've gone through $10 trillion. Is that the number? You should probably remember mm. that, you know, AUM, a lot of that would come through their kind of passive uh, products. Uh, and I just feel right now that they've pushed these prices of these big companies to ridiculous valuations. And if we're kind of going away from just a pure U.S. world to more of Europe, UK and other areas of the world, then, then I think passive in the States might struggle. But having said all that, we've been calling that for a long time. It doesn't always work, but that's, that's kind of where I'm leaning at the moment. And the other big idea I've got because I think it's going to be more of a stock because market this year, and I think it's going to be a more difficult and volatile market because I think Fed could make mistakes and markets might sell off and you want to be there to buy those buy those companies when it happens. I, I like 
the idea of having some alternative in the portfolio. So, sort of a long, short manager, equity market neutral manager, not not somebody who's purely directional. Because, interestingly enough, if you've been buying fixed income globally, not, not South Africa, but fixed income ashore this year, it isn't giving you those diversification benefits it used to. So, I also consult to a company offshore called Apollo, uh, and they have a number of funds they run, and we have a very large exposure to alternative assets in the portfolios because trying to give that diversification risk just a, just a different benefit to the portfolio and not just purely beta. So those are the ideas I'm thinking about. Good ideas. Joanne, thank you very much for your time. As always, that's Joanne Bainham from Sterling Private Wealth in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.